Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello. Welcome to Science in Africa, a Nature Careers podcast series. I am Akijimo, Chief Editor of Nature Africa. I work and live in Lagos and I'm passionate about promoting science and public health journalism in my native Nigeria and across Africa. In this series, we are going to explore the practice of science in this wonderful continent, the progress, the issues, the needs, and in the worlds of the African scientists who are based here. In this first episode, we meet Dr. Ifeniwa Aniebo. She's a molecular geneticist and infectious disease expert, currently working in the field on the malaria drug resistance projects. What is Africa like for the new generation of scientists coming through? I kicked off by asking her about the general situation? Um, I think it's evolving. So maybe 15 years ago, it was sort of not where it was supposed to be at all. That seemed to have been a lack of, um, you know, research culture in a lot of African countries. Um, now, uh, now being the last at least five years, um, there's been quite a lot of investment um, and collaborations and partnerships um, across the board. So, for example, you have partnerships that train young, you know, next generation scientists in, you know, to do masters or PhD or postdoctoral training. You have okay. institutions that get funding for all of these uh, training activities. So it is still evolving because we're not where we're supposed to be because the, the science at the moment isn't really translating to innovative ideas that can solve our health problems. And so the things that I think that are the three major issues that we're facing uh, on the continent, um, the first would be uh, funding. There's literally uh, a lack of investment, you know, for science and research. You know, there's also and, and there's also lack of domestic funding um, for training okay. the next generation of scientists in tertiary institutions. And this is actually a problem because the majority of the money that comes into science is from international uh, and multilateral organizations. Okay. Then, then, then again, you know, it, it then becomes an issue in terms of setting the agenda and priorities for research and trying to solve the local problem that we have. You know, like we probably all know Africa shoulders, what, 25% of the global disease burden. We unfortunately only just contribute about 2% of the world research output, which is quite abysmal. Uh, we only account for only like 1.3% of research spending, and we only produce 0.1% of all patents. So as you can see, in terms of that funding and the output, it's really poor. And when we now talk about the human resource for science, 
the African scientists. We have 198 per million African scientists on the continent. When you compare this to the UK or the US with 4,500 per million, there's obviously a lot of gap there. And, and the issue with this is that when we fail to invest in African science, um, it then becomes very difficult to develop homegrown sustainable solutions to African wow. problem. So funding is important. Funding research, funding scientists, funding the innovations around that. It's, it takes a while, but it's very sustainable. So that's one problem that I, I think is an issue across the board in Africa. Another issue, uh, the second one would be the infrastructure problem, right? So building infrastructure is important because when we're training young doctors, young PhDs, young postdocs, you want to retain them. Because if you don't retain them, they're gonna go, there's going to be another brain drain of them going into countries like the UK and US where there are lots of amazing opportunities, even as a young scientist, to develop. So you're going to lose your talent. So infrastructure is important. You know, we need to create an ecosystem for innovation. And this includes laboratories. This also includes amazing good road networks because you need to go from you need to go from one lab to another you need to go to, from the field to the lab you need to take your samples from the field in a very um preserved manner to the laboratory and, and the road networks are important but most importantly electricity you can't do any scientific experiment if you do not have constant electricity like i couldn't run a pcr machine without electricity right if it, if, it, if, if the light goes off right in the middle of the experiment and i don't really know what that is okay. inconclusive so yeah so so that's uh, an important part and the last thing that i'd say is prioritizing women in science we're not prioritizing women in science but i know that we can talk about this much later on but these are the three areas that i think that if we focused on we might start to, to have a, a very sort of a fast a faster evolution um if you like so looking at the problem, uh, you mentioned funding, uh, you mentioned uh, infrastructure, and uh, also encouraging women uh, in science, you know. Would you say it's easy to become a scientist in, in let's say, Nigeria or e extrapolate to Africa generally? Is it easy to become, you know, a scientist? I mean, you can use yourself as an example. I mean, Okay, so I would say that it's easier now to become a scientist. And the reason I'm saying this is because over the past couple of years, you know, there has been investment, you know, we've seen, um, you know, a lot of uh, money being put into institutions to train the next generation of scientists. We've also seen a bit of role models, you know, uh, for example, the last COVID-19 showed that Africa is basically ready to, to be, you know, to take science seriously. We sequenced the COVID-19 genome in Africa. So Nigeria was the first country that sequenced, um, and the institution that did this was in um, African Center for Excellence of Genomic Infectious Diseases in Ocean State. The second institution that did this was also an institution, WACBIP, in Ghana. So these, the, the people sequencing these things are young, young Africans. They're the ones sequencing these, these genomes, right? Of course, they have a director who is the mentor, um, but these are the young people doing it. And so I, I really think that we're, we're in a better place compared to, say, 10 years ago when it was still evolving. So I think it's a little bit easier because you have, you know, the, a little bit of funding, you have more opportunities, you've got more access, but it's still very difficult. Uh, so when I was growing up in Nigeria, um, I only got interested in science, not because I was being taught uh, really nicely, to be honest. I didn't particularly enjoy uh, maths or 
any of those science subjects in Nigeria, I didn't. And that, that then goes back to the teaching. How exactly do we teach these subjects? And how do you make young people interested in it? I got interested in science because I'm just a, I've just been a curious child. Um, so unfortunately, uh, again, which is also another reason why I got into malaria research, I had a, a best friend who yeah. died of um, malaria. And, yeah. and, and she was literally like my best friend because we had similar interests. We loved comic books, we loved X-Men, and we, we loved watching Dexter's mm. Laboratory. So we had so many things in yeah. common. And she died because the medicine that was given to her, chloroquine, to treat her malaria at mm. the time was resistant. So she kept getting giving, she was giving a lot of doses, but it didn't clear the malaria parasites in her blood. Yeah. And we were, what, eight, nine years old? And, and so she died. And if you know that malaria affects mostly uh -huh. children um, in Africa, so children are the ones more susceptible uh -huh. to it. So that obviously changed the way that I felt about malaria, changed the way that I felt about uh -huh. science and just my curiosity. I started to ask questions, which unfortunately, a lot of doctors in the hospitals couldn't really answer. But luckily, I had a really... My father was such a lovely man that he had literally engaged me in all my questions. He might not even have had the answers, but he would get his friends who were, um, you know, physicians to really answer me. And I, I did understand that it was because of drug resistance, which is why my friend died. Um, and so that kind of sparked my interest. So my interest is a bit different because I obviously started to get interested because one, because I was curious and two, because I had a personal you know, tragedy that kind of got me into that. But I would say that, like, generally, science in Africa is better than it was before, but it's still not easy because of the, the things that are highlighted, the problems are highlighted before, the infrastructural yeah. problems, the lack of funding. Without this ecosystem, you, you can't really do the kind of science that you want to do, unfortunately. You know, you had a, a number of experiences. I mean, uh, sorry about your, your friend. And, uh, you know, there's a saying that curiosity killed the cat, but your curiosity you know, takes you to science. And uh, uh, let, let me ask, when and how did you become a scientist? You know, can, can you tell us your story? You know, I know you've talked about a uh, story about your friend, but tell us your story. So I would start with, um, so losing my friend and getting very curious about, you know, I was curious about drug resistance, actually, which is interesting. So I wasn't particularly... Okay interested in the particular area, although malaria killed her, and I'm a malaria researcher today, which obviously, that, that's kind of connect, but it was drug resistance that got me interested, because the way that it was explained to me, because I was such an X-Men fan, my dad's friend basically just used what I understood, because I was really young. I was, I was nine years old. I used to read a lot of comics. I was a comic geek. And so he basically explained to me and said, you know how the X-Men have, like, abilities that make them you know, adapt better and just evolve to be better superhumans. That's basically what happens with the parasites. So rather than the parasite getting killed by the chloroquine that your friend was giving, it didn't get killed. It just kept on multiplying in the blood system until unfortunately it took a life. So that for me, that resonated with me. And so I always had that at the back of my mind. And so I went to England. Uh, my parents sent me to boarding school in England. And first time I, I, I extracted DNA, from my lunch um, salad, cress, and I was taught that the DNA is basically the blueprint of life. And so I started to literally connect DNA and, and parasites, um, understanding the genetic 
uh, makeup of the pathogens around us. And this is exactly because understanding that will make me understand why they even become resistant. So, so this is where during my GCSEs, I started to get really interested in, in drug resistance and, and, and biology on that level. And so I applied to um, study genetics at University of London, Queen Mary University of London. Uh, and then um, I also had further training. Um, and during my university in London, I, I was very obsessed about a bacterial, uh, a bacterial genome um, from Enterococcus faecalis, which affects um, yeah. people, it causes sepsis. And so that was basically my project. And so I was interested in drug resistance in that particular bacteria. And so I carried on, I uh, did other you know, research, um, worked for a few years, did masters at the University of Nottingham, also attended the University of Oxford. I did a PhD, I got into a PhD program at the University of Oxford. Um, and so I've worked at you know, genetic institutions, Illumina in, in the UK. I know most people know about Illumina now because they're the ones that they're very popular for their sequencing machines. So they're the reason why we're, we're, we're able to successfully sequence SARS-CoV-2 genomes, these Illumina platforms. Um, so I've worked in g genetic research uh, for a very long time. And so this is basically my story and I've just followed my passion through, through research and, 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 and working in that area. Let, let me ask you one question. Uh, since you are a student, um, how has the business of science in Africa, uh, has it changed or has it progressed? Well, I, I have highlighted the, the challenges and I've highlighted where exactly we are on the continent. But I also think that, there, for example, when you look at a country like South Africa, there's been a lot of you know, investment in the private sector, investment in like, biotechnology, right? Um, you're getting all of these cool startups coming out to do really amazing things. And I really think that that's beginning to spread across Africa. So you have in Nigeria, you have some startups as well in the biotech space. You have some in Kenya, you have some in Ghana as well. So what I think is changing, I think one thing that from my own experience is changing, and I would say that because I also feel really strongly about it, is you know how basically we have a traditional path in science where you have your PhD, then you go on to do your postdoctoral training for about seven years or so, four to seven years, and then you go into university, do the lecturership, probably become a professor at some point. You know, the traditional route is basically what I've realized a lot of younger people are not doing that particularly because we are in a different generation and then we also are very um, passionate about solving our immediate problems around us. And so a lot of us are thinking about, you know, innovative ways using, you know, yeah. being entrepreneurial as well as um, solving, using entrepreneurial, um, the entrepreneurial part to solve the problem. Because again, funding is amazing, but when the funding comes from outside, it's not very sustainable. You're going to keep going from one, you know, funder to another. And, and sometimes yeah. everyone has their own priority. So if you've got your own priority, you can't really do what you want. You have to do what the funder wants based on their priority. And this is why domestic funding is important. Because if countries start to invest in science, then young Africans will start to really do the research that really concerns them in the local context. So now what you're seeing is that younger people are using, getting other, using other means like business and investment startups to create yeah. solutions like diagnostics. We look at cancer diagnostics, there are young people doing that. We've got a, a, a biotech company in Lagos, which also does, tries to collect human genome so that we are being represented. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. 
but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. ...presented in, in the world. So there's so many things that are happening. Um, and I think that it's... I think the next five to ten years, it will evolve even faster. But I think it's just a start. It's just starting to change in that regard. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to the future of that, actually. I thought that was interesting. How the tragedy of losing a childhood friend due to malaria drug resistance at given Ifeiwa the drive and passion to attempt to solve that problem in adult life. I was also shocked. By those statistics, Africa shoulders 25% of the world's disease burden. Yet, African scientists produce only 2% of the research output, contribute only 1.3% of the research spending, and successfully secure only 0.1% of patents. And the other shocking number that perhaps explains those percentages that only 198 per million Africans are scientists, compared to 4,500 per million in the UK and the US. So I wanted to know, is this because of the shortfall of women in science? Yeah, you, 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 you made mention of, um, you know, women in science. Uh, are the key challenges, or are there key challenges that can work against the professional growth of female uh, scientists in Africa? Oh yes. Okay. So, so the thing is, a lot of women don't have the opportunity to start with, um, and they don't even have access to these opportunities. You know, you have women who take time out for pregnancy, maternity leave, breastfeeding. You know, a lot of women in Africa do obviously a higher share of the childcare and domestic duties. Um, and all of these things, honestly, affect their entry and progression in the sciences. When you look at boys and girls in, in secondary school, they do, you can't even tell a difference in maths and science achievements. Once the girls start getting to university, it's a problem. It's almost like they're distracted. And that's, the data is there to actually prove it. They're just not as invested in it. And, and, and the reason why, from research, has been shown that women have more cultural expectation placed on them. So by the time you're in university asking you, are you going to get married? Uh, why do you want to do a PhD? No man's going to marry you if you do a PhD. Yeah, I, I've had that. People have said to me, why am I even doing a, why are you studying for a PhD? Aren't you going to scare a man off if you're so educated? The point is, your, women are always pressured to adapt and adhere to cultural expectations. And so some women you know like myself who obviously do what we want based on what we are passionate about we're not very common majority of women would obviously adapt to whatever cultural expectations expected of them and what you then see is that they don't further the education to even you know masters or phd level because again what society um you know promotes or values isn't that education it is to be married so they, they just drop out then another one is when you actually see women who actually go on to become PhDs or to study PhDs or become postdocs, yeah? They don't have that support. Again, cultural expectation. 
how exactly are you going to go for a training in Ghana if you have a baby to breastfeed and then your husband is not supportive or you don't have a supportive network of people? That's the issue. So I think that there are serious issues here. And the way that institutions, government and everyone else who, you know, uh, would, 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 would help the situation would be making sure that we think about women when we're thinking about these policies. If you're providing training for a particular skill, imagine someone wants to go to Kenya for bioinformatics training, yeah, and she was a woman who had the baby. Yeah. Funds for crashes should be provided. Daycare, extra money to bring the child along to the training should also be provided, right? So we need to think about women, include, we can't remove them from their everyday, you know, activities. You can't do that. So we need to include that in if we want them to have access. So if you think about the UK, for example, there are grants in the UK giving out to people in science, young people, men, women, it doesn't matter. But they acknowledge time spent away from research. It's the Wellcome Trust, actually, a really amazing um, you know, institution in the UK. They actually prioritise. They, they, they tell you that you're not going to penalise if you're taking two years out. Just tell us what you've been doing for two years. If you've been a mum, it's okay. That is always considered. It's not penalized. You're not penalized. So I think Africans need to start thinking about that. Um, you know, and that's a way to solve that issue. And also, advocacy is important. You know, advocacy uh, of African women um, currently in in science, because we have so many African women in so many countries doing amazing work. And and COVID nineteen highlighted a lot of amazing African women doing amazing work like, on the front lines and even in the laboratory. It's important that younger women see these people because what are they seeing on television? They're seeing entertainers. There's absolutely nothing wrong with entertainers, but you know you do have other types of professions, you know. And so I think also just putting these things in their faces to say, you know, you can actually be, uh, you know, a, a scientist. You can you can be a physicist. You can do this and that you know, creating that mentor-mentee relationship would actually help with the problem um, of the death of, of young people, women, young women getting into the sciences. Yeah. Will you say, has the prospect for women scientists changed, you know, uh, in Africa, you know, based on your experience? Yes, I think it's improved. Um, I personally, to be honest, I've not had, apart from the cultural expectation that random people throw at me, because not my family, the reason I'm able to get to where I am is because I've got huge family support, um, and and I'm very grateful for that. But I actually think it's improved compared to, say, 10, 15 years ago, because when you think about the funding that even comes, some of them include prioritised women. You know, we we would like for women to apply. Uh, for position. So yes, I, th- I think there's more opportunities for women and people are starting to think about the access. I also think that in terms of mentorship, it's, it's really good. So for example, I myself have been, you know, I've, I've, I've been privileged to be mentored by really amazing African scientists in Ghana um, and in um, Nigeria. So for example, in Ghana, Professor um, um, Gordon uh, Awandare, who's a Ghanaian uh, parasitologist, amazing. He leads the WACBIB Center in Ghana and also Professor um, Christian Happy in Nigeria. So they um, are just two figureheads and they're men who inspire tons of women and young people in science. Um, And they paved the way for the rest of us to follow. So I think that, yes, it's a better place because you're getting more, you know, mentorship, more training, you know, and you're getting access to these things. Like I got access to training for grants writing in Ghana, in in WACBIP. You know, these are the things that, that, that help 
you know, uh, the training helps and then now I have a grant. So I can't, you know, you obviously connect the dot to see that the training takes a, a few years for you to get better, but you, you need an opportunity to even have a shot. And I was given that opportunity and now I have a shot. So it's, it's so much better for women, I think. Uh, it could be better. We're making progress, but we're not where we used to be and that's okay as well. Yeah. I, I know you are doing, you've been doing a lot of work when it comes to issues related to women. I mean, you have an initiative Tell us about it. Tell us about Afrocentric. Yes, yes. Uh, Afrocentric. I'm very passionate about women's involvement in science. And I'm just passionate about women generally. <laughs> um, so I, I formed a, an, Af- an organization called Afrocentric when I was in my first year of my PhD. Uh, and it's basically an organization that aims to inspire and empower young African women in STEM okay. on the African continent and the diaspora. Um, and the purpose is to empower them in science, encourage them to stay in science and also promote their career development within the sciences uh, whilst creating opportunities uh, to influence, you know, economic, ecological and health changes in the country. And like, you know, I've already said, you know, women are not very represented. We're below 20 percent. Uh, in, um, in the sciences in Africa, even though we make up more than 50% of Africa's population. So th- th- there isn't a lot of issue there. So what we do basically is that we target young women um, to provide for them training, the tra- act training that they can use to get opportunities, right? Like how do you write a personal statement? How do you write a research proposal? How can your CV look better? How do you approach a mentor? Just little things. How do you get access to grants? So we train young women in sciences to have these skills. We also pair young women with mentors. So if there's someone who's done this before you and has a little bit of experience, we do a one-on-one pairing so that they're mentored for two months. So a young woman is mentored by another um, much experienced lady who mentors them. And and what we see is that it's beginning to, it, it really affects their lives. So for example, last year we had about five Five of our mentees had fully funded places at university, PhD places, freely funded. You know, you teach them how to write a personal statement, you teach them how to write a research proposal, you know, give them the skills. And they go by themselves, do these applications, also provide for them the opportunities because some of them don't have access to all of these advertisements. So on the website, we always showcase opportunities like every day we're posting on all social media plus our website and so these women access these things and apply with the skills that we've trained them with and last year five of them got fully funded phds programs in different parts of the world um which is really amazing um that they actually got money to go to school and a lot of them didn't think that they could ever achieve that a lot of them are from different african countries mostly nigeria but one from kenya and one from ghana so it's actually very amazing so this is the kind of thing that keeps me very you know alive is that i'm able to because when i was when i was a scientist um in university i was always the black person or the only woman in the space and I always wondered, where are all the, where are all the black Africans? Was well, can't obviously just be me, but a lot of us actually had that experience. And I thought, you know, I have to do this so that no one ever feels that they're alone. I was lucky that I had a lot of, um, you know, mentors and people pouring to me. And majority of them are actually men, you know. They helped me, my, my supervisors, my lecturers, my, my professors all had time for me. So I was very lucky. And so I just felt like, you know, it's always good to create opportunities for people who probably don't have the same experience. That's, that, that's, that's great. That, that, that's, that, that's really great. Um, looking at your work, is, is, is Pan-African. I mean, you have 
mentees who have you know um move further you know in their studies uh, who have gotten grants and so on and so forth uh what advice will you give or can you give to other africans in other african uh, countries you know to do the kind of things you do in terms of afrocentric and uh, other related issues concerning women scientists or women in science yes i think uh mostly the africans in the diaspora um I think that mentorship is, goes a really long way, you know. Um, the COVID-19 pandemic has taught us that the internet works, right? Zoom is an amazing tool like we're using right now. Um, so you can spend time with, with a mentee for even if it's like three hours a week or even one hour a week, however much you can give in terms of time, it always goes a long way. So it's important that, you know, this training and mentorship is, is, is accessible for them. Um, I also would say that collaborations also help. So if you, for example, have a research uh, study that you're interested in, collaborating with the African scientists in the diaspora is always also a nice idea, is that you're also learning through collaboration, but you're making that partnership even stronger for future kind of like ideas that can pop up, right? So collaboration is something that they should also be open to. Another thing for younger people, younger, younger students in STEM is creating that exchange program. So you have universities in Nigeria or other parts of Africa. I think that what the diaspora can do really nicely is create um, exchange programs. Because what I find is that when a young person from a, a, an institution in, in an African continent go, when they go over to the UK or the US, of course, it's a different experience. You have all of this amazing laboratory machineries that they have to do all this amazing you know, analysis with. Um, and it just opens their minds to possibilities. It, the exchange programs help the students or the young person understand that, look, the, the science that I'm doing, I, I really love it. Like it just re-emphasizes why they're there. For the new generation of scientists coming through, I agree that exchange programs can work as a brain gain rather than brain drain. To bring those skills and knowledge back to Africa, as Ifeniwa has done. Mentoring, too, is a valuable offering that the older generation can give to the younger. That's men, too, but especially women. African institutions will have to follow this advice if the shocking statistics we had earlier are to shift in the right direction. Now, that's all for this episode of Science in Africa podcast. I am Akin Jima, Chief Editor of Nature Africa. Thanks again to Dr. Ifeniwa Aniebo. And thank you for listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.